0: Welcome to Daily Coast's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Melitzes, the founder of Daily Coast, and your co-host along with senior political writer Carrie Elaveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1:30 Pacific, 4:30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast The Brief. It's our weekly show about politics. I'm Marcos Molitz, and I'm here with Kerry Aleveld, and we are, as we've been talking the last few weeks, talking about the November 2022 midterm election. Historically, the midterm election really favors the party out of power because it is a referendum on the incumbent president, and presidents really can't deliver what they promise because our system is, is, is broken. But like Kerry and I have been talking about for over a year now, we always saw the fact that uh, the Supreme Court was going to overturn Roe v. Wade, and the fact that Donald Trump just can't get off that stage, that that would create a dynamic that would give us a, a typical midterm election. Kerry, everything we've been talking about has, has, uh, is happening, and it still is happening, right?
1: I mean, if there were, you know, if there were a perfect storm for for Democrats to outpace expectations, this is it. It continues to be so. Uh, Republicans just continue to be a total dumpster fire, which I think we're gonna, you know, uh, talk about after after we talk to our guest and uh, and and the abortion issue continues to. Uh, dominate and not just not dominate across like across everything. It's not like, oh, no one's talking about inflation and no one, you know, no one's talking about the economy, et cetera. I mean, you know, Republicans are certainly trying to change the conversation. They have no rebuttal to the abortion situation, none, because they're all over the place on it. So they just they don't even talk about it. They if they can avoid it at any cost, it's not like they even are playing defense. They're trying to avoid it, sidestep it all together um, so you know, they're always trying to change the conversation to inflation to gas prices if they're high to you know scare people about crime and immigration, things like that. But yeah, this is like, and and one thing I will say too you know, Democrats are really seem to be rowing in the same direction on abortion, too. Yeah. yeah I mean for once right I mean and it I totally think it's their best bet for the midterms because Republicans have no response whatsoever because there's Republicans out there saying yeah we should do a national abortion ban I mean Rick Scott just you know this this week embraced uh the idea of of needing to do something at the federal level uh, Yeah Senator Rick, Rick Scott, Scott is
0: yeah he's uh he's in charge of the Senate effort for the Republican party and polling shows that Democrats probably favored to pick up a couple of seats now everything's very tight these are all races in battleground presidential states so we're talking 50 50 states you know a few points here a few points there and if we were depending on polling you know we, we've been burned by polling before and we're not we actually have had a number of special elections since the Dobbs decision came out and Democrats have outperformed the Joe Biden ticket in 2020 by an average of six points and so Carrie, that polling is actually not as good as actual election results. So right. it, it is a very interesting dynamic. There's questions about those suburban, college-educated, white women, and even men swinging in our direction. Carrie, you've written about, and we can talk about it a little bit later, we've, mm-hmm. we've seen numbers move with white men after the Mar-a-Lago raid uh, against Donald Trump. So there might even against be some Trump. room. Uh, on national security issues, but there 's questions about whether our core base will turn out, and there 's always questions republicans they don 't have a problem getting old white people to vote. Our base is younger, and when you talk about Latinos having a uh, a lower rate of voting, if you talk about single women voting at lower rates, if you talk about the black community, uh, lower voting rates. Really what it all comes down to is younger people. Those are young communities, young people. Young people don't vote in as large numbers as uh, as older people. This is just uh, a truism. So one of the big question marks this November is, will Democrats get that youth vote? Is that youth vote even going to be motivated and energized by the Democratic ticket? So we have a guest today to talk about this very issue. She is Christina Sintun Ramirez. She is the executive director and president of Next Gen America, the largest organization in its country focused on youth voter mobilization, right? Turnout, mobilization, no. engagement, all those things. Christina, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: So the, the big question, uh, when we looked at Joe Biden's approval ratings and, and how he sort of declined precipitously since the 2020 election, if you were to dig into the the crosstabs of those polls, youth voters actually led the way. And so there was sort of this growing fear or, or, or um, realization that, well, nobody's paying attention to these issues that are important to young voters. They were promised the moon during the election. Nothing happened, particularly relating to to uh, college debt relief, but also on climate action. And there has been progress. And so do you see a shift in that community or should we still be worried about the youth turnout this November?
2: Well, I always think we should be focused on turnout, especially in the midterm, But you know, you talked about how polls have burned us in the past. And polls for me are like an indicator, but we're living in such a rapidly changing political climate. If you asked me three months ago, what was going to happen, it would look very different than it does today. And even three months before that, we did two polls, Next Gen did these big youth voter polls. And in the springtime, we saw still youth voter turnout was going to be high. Uh, but this was pre the Dobbs decision. But we also saw High motivation against amongst young Republicans. Of course, most young voters are progressive, overwhelmingly progressive. Biden, um, in some polls, you know, won sixty six percent of the youth vote in twenty twenty, the highest youth voter turnout in American history. But post row we are actually seeing a huge surge in registration, especially amongst young women and likely Democrats. Youth voter turnout is expected to be on par with the 2018 historic youth voter turnout for a midterm. And again, that like huge surge in young women registering, I think, should be sending some alarm bells to Republicans. And I can tell you, uh, I was on some campuses here in Texas just last week in Houston, and how many young women I was on... Texas Southern University, it's a historically black college, one of the largest in the country, how many young women were coming up and saying, I'm registering because I feel like my life depends on it. Young black women registering for the first time. Wow.
1: Wow. You know, um, this is something I quoted uh, last week, but I want to quote it again, because I think it's really significant. And, um, you know, uh, Tom Bonier is, uh, or Bonier, 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 I don't know. Anyway, but he's maybe Bonier. (laughs) We we have, we don't know, but, but anyway, we're going to, we're going to talk about him anyway. (laughs) Anyway, he's, you know, he's from target smart. He's, he founded target smart. It's a, it's a data analyst firm and they've been doing a lot a a big look at, you know um, how much uh, registration among women and other demographics have gone up. And he was saying, he was looking at the, um, the vote in Kansas where they, turned back that referendum, the constitutional amendment that would have banned abortion in the state. And it was it was during a it was during a primary vote. Right. And he said he looked back at voter turnout and found that more voters under 30 voted in that primary you know, referendum than voted in the 2018 general election in Kansas. I mean, that is wild because, as you said, the 2018 turnout for those midterms among youth voters was already historic. Yeah. So that was a good year. But to think that there were more voters that turned out, um, more youth voters that turned out in this, in a primary, you know, that also had this constitutional uh, amendment on the ballot, right? Um, that is just wild, Wild to me.
2: I can't think of another time in the time that I've been doing po- politics and organizing that something like that has happened. There is just so many more people focus on the election. One of the polls that we did also passed after the Road decision, you know, the overturning of Roe is overwhelmingly unpopular across the country. But when you talk about young voters, 76% of young voters were opposed to overturning Roe. When you talk about young women, you're talking close to 82% opposed to overturning Roe. Um, and so two and three of the young people we surveyed said they feel like abortion is on the ballot this election. There was never a question, were young people gonna go over to the Republican side? Overwhelmingly, young people are still progressive, but You know, I always remind people to even when Joe Biden's approval ratings really were really low, Joe Biden was never the youth vote candidate. That was the other really old guy in the race. (laughs) And so but they they came out and voted overwhelmingly in opposition to fascism. Right. And for progressive policy. And when Democrats weren't winning on progressive policy, the question was, are they going to stay home? Well, now they see fascism is on the ballot again. Um, We have Republican legislators that are. It feels like trying to take our country backwards, take our rights away. And Democrats got some really important things done over the summer. They passed historic gun safety legislation, which young people have pushed for. They passed climate legislation, the largest investment ever by any nation, not everything we need, but that was won in large part because of young people and student debt cancellation also won by young people. So now young people feel like there's something to go vote against and something to vote for.
0: So you said that you had a poll three months ago, and presumably you have a more recent poll. Have you, have you actually looked at that youth vote since the, uh, since the student debt relief, since the passage of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act and the climate change provisions? Have you, do you have data that shows that the, the passage of that legislation has actually moved numbers, in, or at least excitement and engagement?
2: I mean, I can tell you from all of our organizers on the ground, we're on 186 college campuses in eight states. All of our organizers are hearing about how young people are really glad that this legislation was passed and how it's motivating them to feel like something can actually change for the better in their lives. Our poll, sadly, was done the week the uh, the no. the week the inflation reduction act actually went forward. I was like, no. <laughs> yeah. that would be from all of the folks that we're hearing from on the ground, that people realize again, like it's about legislators that want to take our country backwards. Or building a future that actually is for all of us. And I think a lot of young people also understand that abortion was just the opening salvo, that they're coming for contraception, that they're coming for the rights of the LGBTQ community, issues that young people overwhelmingly support. And so I think that people understand just how critical this midterm election is.
1: Let me just, I, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, since you sadly were in the field when some of these things happened, had student loan cancellation happened, student debt cancellation happened? No, student yet? loan
2: cancellation happened after the IRA. So that was- Rough go, <laughs> rough
1: go, Christina, rough go. Well, I tell you what, let me let me go ahead and quote something here because this, I mean, this he, he didn't give numbers, but this is good anecdotal information from uh, Bill McInturf who is a partner at Public Opinion Strategies, and he does the polling for NBC News. He told Roll Call last week that he thought that the student loan forgiveness was really being underrated. Everybody in terms of um, talking about motivating the youth vote was talking about abortion. But he said, quote, that's where I think the student loan thing is underrecognized. And he said it was hugely popular among uh, well-educated voters ages 18 to 34, a select group of well-educated voters, eight eight groups, sorry, 18 to 34. They loved it. He said they were kind of soft. They were kind of soft Democrats. These were people who said they didn't want to vote. And guess what happened? These are the people who moved the most on Biden's job approval. So, I mean, that tells you something about what that did for some people's enthusiasm. I mean, I, it sounds like he doesn't know, you know, people aren't good predictors of I'm definitely going to go vote. You don't know for sure. But they were
2: super enthused by that move by the Biden administration. I mean, I can't. I live in Texas, right? Half of all Latinos across the country saw their student debt wiped away. I mean, that is just like transformative for low-income communities, folks that had Pell Grants. It, it really, it took a big dent. I know so many young people. I think this one woman uh, that works with us, Shelly, she lives in Houston. She grew up in foster care, but she had quite hefty student debt loan. And she's like, I feel like I can get married. I can buy a house, like this has changed my life. And so I think this is a generation that's seen honestly like a a big stalemate in Congress and at the federal level of inaction. And they just saw in a very short time period, action after action. Um, And so I think it's making people believe that yes, government can make my life better. And ultimately it's up to me to make sure that it's the right people in elected office. and. I also just want to remind the young people that I work with, I'm like a grandma millennial, so I'm at the (laughs) 40s. So I remember the Democratic Party of the 90s that was, in my mind, not on the right issues that affected black and brown communities or low-income communities, that they were supportive of tax cuts for the ultra-wealthy and the belief of trickle-down economics that never worked for the majority of us. They were wrong on the crime bill. And now we have really transformed the party, and it's been so much of young people doing that um and that's i think why they're starting to, the Demo- democratic party is in large part winning is because they are being bolder they are being more true to who the party should actually serve
0: so i think you already sort of answered that or at least spoke to this question but i i really want to really um just clarify or, or really give you a chance to really just discuss this a little bit more there is a sort of history of democrats doing stuff and they don't get credit politically electorally they don't get credit right like you know um Financial relief during the COVID crisis, or even managing and, and the rollout of the vaccine program, right? things happen, and you know Donald Trump would sign you know, write checks and sign his name on them right, and, and Joe biden wouldn 't do that because you know, it 's not appropriate there 's been this history of an inability to capitulate or capitalize sorry capitalize on our accomplishments. Suddenly you have the, the passage of student debt relief, you have the Inflation Reduction Act and the climate provisions. When you talk to people, is it clear to them who is why those pieces of legislation, that debt that, that relief happened? Is, is Joe Biden, are the Democrats getting the credit or is it still a salesman job that, that Democrats need to improve on?
2: Oh, I think Democrats still need to really improve on selling what they've won and delivered for the American people. And also what I really appreciated when the student debt relief happened, I feel like a lot of times Democrats have won something and then not been prepared to defend their win So or capitulate uh, when Republicans start to attack them. I loved the just common facts about PP loans, that uh, forgiveness that like uh, Congressman Major Marjorie Taylor Greene got and many others that they said, hey. Don't there's a double standard here. We're actually investing in the American people. You just want investing yourself. And we have to remind people of that. You know, I got asked on another program, "Well, what do you say that this is a giveaway for votes? And I was like, I know Republicans are probably confused, but this is called democracy since they no longer believe in it. But you make a campaign (laughs) promise and then you deliver. And people vote for you for that. And that—that that is what happened here. And so um, I think we just have to hold our ground and own our wins um, and not concede any ground when when our elected officials are doing what's right and delivering for the American people.
1: Yeah, and just to, just to piggyback off that, I think the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, just came out and estimated that it was going to cost uh, the government like $400 billion or something, <clears throat> the student debt relief. And I was like, man that you know that's a pittance compared to the 1.9 trillion dollar tax giveaway that the you know that it looks like it's going to cost us over the course of a decade that the republicans gave to rich people you know like super rich people in um in 2017 i mean we're going to we are all going to be paying for that for you know this tax giveaway to the super wealthy And that costs $1.9 trillion. That's the projected cost of that uh, bill. And, I don't think it did. You know, does anybody remember like suddenly there were more jobs or, you know, people (laughs) like the lower classes, the middle classes were doing better? Because I sure don't after that one. And so, you know, I'd gladly take this 400 billion dollar, you know, transformational piece for particularly for younger voters and younger voters of color. And and that's going to do far more for the economy over time than that um, tax giveaway to the rich did.
0: No, I think But they, that's the issue, Christina, that's the issue, though, right? Like it, this was relief for young brown and black um, kids and, and young adults. Right. That that may be why they were so offended.
2: I mean, I think ultimately they have no interest in serving like working in middle class America. I think that's right. very clear. And I think Carrie brings up a really good point, which is what we need to own is we believe you build a strong economy by investing in the working and middle class of this country. They believe you build a strong economy for their very rich uh, friends and Wall Street and big corporations by making us all pay for it. And so I think we just have to own and say, look, we believe that investing in America's young people and their educational success is the best investment we can make to build a strong economy. That every uh, college graduate puts in close to $250,000 more into local taxes in their economy that they'll pay over their lifetime. That's a huge investment that having... Uh, An entire generation strapped with student debt, where one in five student debt borrowers pre-COVID were already in default on their student loans, does nothing except for big financial institutions. And that lastly, I think we should start to get to a place where we say, you know, it used to be a wild idea in this country that there would be free public education, K through 12. Uh, but then we decided it would help accelerate our economy and country. And so we invested in free K through 12 education. Um, maybe it's about time that we developed a K through higher education program that's tuition free in this country, because what a high school diploma was back then is what a college degree is today.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that's crazy talk, Christina. That's crazy talk.
2: <laughs> crazy. Too uh, crazy.
0: <laughs> I mean, radical. Hey,
2: which states are you in? Uh, uh, next, gen. which states are you in? So we are the country's largest youth voting rights organization. We are an eight-battleground state this, uh, states, um, this election cycle, focusing on mobilizing 9.6 million likely progressive voters that are under the age of 35 this election.
0: Yeah, I mean... It's it's going to be, we're going to see, it, I mean, I, we keep talking about how the battleground states are, are, they're all the presidential battleground states. It's the exact same ones, right? It's Arizona, Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. And um, and so the organizing we're doing now actually also carries into 2024. But it also means that every one of those races is going to be a, it's a 50-50 race. And Republicans are doing everything they can to give us a, a, an extra boost in places like like Georgia and, and Pennsylvania and Arizona, but it's the youth vote is going to be decisive in those states. So the work that you guys are doing is absolutely incredibly important and might even be determinative of the final outcome. So I'm, I'm sort of curious, um, we've seen Tom Bonnier and Target Smart talk about how probably about half of new voter registrations are under the age of 25, which is just a mind blowing number in its own right. You guys are specifically getting people registered to vote. So I'm curious what you guys are seeing and what may have, what it looked like before Dobbs and what it looks like now.
2: I mean, before Dobbs, it was, it, it was a little rough out there. You know, there was a lot of people that were not very motivated about the election. It was like a midterm, um, especially for new voters. They're like, I just voted in 2020 or I've never voted. Why am I going to vote in this election? Um, and it was a hard sales pitch. And now it's been a flood, not just to next gen, but across states, um, where you're seeing huge, huge surge in numbers. So we've actually pivoted a lot of our pivoted a lot of our work, not just to registration, but to start to capture that energy, that organic energy that's coming from young people and making sure they know when, where to vote, where their polling location is. Um, and, And make sure they know who to vote for as well, because we have a huge opportunity, not just to focus on the Senate and House, but really key races for Secretary of State races, you talked about the 2024 election. Um, we have election deniers that are inviting for positions to over to certify elections, and we need to make sure they don't get elected and that young people go all the way down ballot. And in seven of these eight states, Republicans have also gotten rid of st- straight ticket voting because they understand that straight ticket voting um, ha- had helped folks that were newer voters, um, especially younger voters, Cast ballots for Democrats. So, in seven of these eight states, no longer straight ticket voting. We have to get people to go all the way down the ballot. Can I just you- say,
1: if Republicans can find a way to like screw over voters, they will find it. I mean, like they just like it's just everything. Like, no, you can't do straight ticket now. You got to go all the way down. You know, no, there's not drop boxes. No, you know, no, we're not. Well, in you know, my
2: home state mail. Yeah. Like we've seen a big surge in states of young people participating through vote by mail as it got expanded through the pandemic. Of course, they don't want that. So and then we always talk about in my home state of Texas, you can't even vote by mail unless you're um, a senior citizen. So it's already disqualifies younger voters from participating in the most uh, popular way for people to vote. Yeah.
0: So so Texas is one of the states that has uh, one of the pioneer states in outlawing abortion, actually. And yet it's got this (laughs) core progressive majority that, you know, doesn't have power for reasons of disenfranchisement, uh, some apathy, some, you know, uh, maybe some other historical reasons. Is there a, any chance that Democrats will make up some ground and maybe be, you know, competitor or even potentially win some of these statewide elected offices in Texas? This is, this is your home turf. So I'm sure yeah, you know it this very like, well.
2: I was just nope. taking my soapbox right now to talk no about pressure. <laughs> <No> pressure. <laughs> I mean, what people need to understand about Texas and why I'm so excited that next gen and to have, Have the privilege to lead this job is that, yes, we, on every single issue that you can possibly imagine in this country about which way the wind blows on climate change, on immigration, on policing, um, on education, on abortion, a lot of that comes home here to Texas, not just because of our size, but because the role we have played um, organizing other attorney generals in the country. Um, But I think what you need to understand are first are demographics. And then I want to say demographics are not destiny. They are simply a core ingredient in the recipe for change, but not change itself. So, you know, people I'm half white, half Mexican. I think people think a lot of people like when they think of Texas, like my white grandpa who lived in Houston and wore a cowboy hat and fringe jacket. But really our state is majority young, brown and black. So in Texas, 67% of those under the age of 18 are people of color. 67% of those over age 65 are white. So uh, it's the fifth largest racial generation gap in the country, an older population that looks very different than its younger population. We are the third youngest state in the country. Only Utah and Alaska are younger than Texas. So if you wanna change Texas, you have to invest in young people and young people of color. And the other thing is you have to do that over cycles. Like Georgia didn't change overnight. Georgia changed because there was a concerted effort over a decade when no one believed Georgia could change to invest in communities, especially communities of color and young people and build up their electoral power and make the electorate Match the actual population. So that's what we're part of a project that we're all part of. Beto is helping accelerate that. Um, he's very popular with young people. He took 71% of the youth vote when Ted Cruz, uh, when he ran against Ted Cruz. And then um, this election, we've already seen a big, big surge, especially in young people registering. And he lost by like, close to like, you know, 220,000 votes to Ted Cruz in 2018. Every year in Texas, four hundred and eleven thousand young people turn 18, of which the majority are people of color. and so that's the power that I'm investing in um, and that we're investing in as those young people of color.
0: Yeah, two hundred thousand seems like a big number in absolute numbers, but for the size of Texas, as a percentage, I think it was only about two or three percent, right? I mean, it's like definitely
2: yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, it's definitely within the the margin of, of a of a shift if that turnout is there. Uh, in addition to suburban voters and all the other sort of transitioning or swing voters in in the state. So are you feeling how are you feeling about our chances then in Texas?
2: You know, I feel like we live in this political moment where all no matter what state you're in, you've got to fight it out. And this is where I think Democrats, especially like on polls, we got to keep fighting no matter what the polls say, because polls have let us down in the past and mobilize our base um, and focus on making sure that everyone we know gets out and votes um, in Texas. Look, Republicans are scared. They are scared because they know the numbers are not on their side. Um, that's why they've played many dirty tricks in our state to try and hold on to power. Th- they have tried. We have had one of the lowest voter turnout rates of any state in the country. Mm-hmm. So, if you drive up turnout, you win in Texas. So. I'm of the belief that I'm going to fight until the last election day um, and that Beto is our best bet to win against um, Republicans. And Carrie said at the beginning, like right now, Republicans have gone so far and so out of step with the vast majority of the American public. And they're even out of step with tech, like the electorate of Texas on abortion, on guns. Like they're so, so far out of step. And people are seeing that
0: we're. Almost out of time, um, Christina, I'm I'm curious if you could sh- you know, you shared earlier a story about, you know, what, what student debt relief meant to to one individual you were talking to. And I just, I love those stories. Do you have a couple more you could share with us? Just people who who are inspired to vote because of what the Democrats have done uh recently?
2: Yeah, you know, um I think of uh this young woman um Jackie Duque, who I know who goes to UT Austin, she's like 21. Both of her parents are undocumented, but she's a U.S. citizen. And yesterday she was just texting me and she's like, I need to check my registration status. Um, I need to make sure that I'm voting and I need the information so I can get my my other friends to vote because we're really mad about what we've seen happening. And so there are like I think there's a, the surge, especially of young women, but then there's also folks like she also benefited from student debt cancellation. So people see both, again, what we're up against and what's what's possible. Um, and so I think there are so many stories like that across the country that we're seeing that big, big surge of young people. And remember, this isn't just about this election, this is about capturing them for long-term yeah, exactly. electoral power. And the other last thing I wanna say about the youth vote that's important for us is Older progressives, or uh, with years of wisdom behind us, is that young v- in the tooth, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. Um, young voters are staying more progressive. Like, there's always been a theory that young people, as they get older, they become more conservative. But older millennials are also staying very progressive, and they're more progressive on the economy. They're more progressive on race, and they're more progressive um, on LGBTQ issues. And this is in part because young people are more diverse, right? And so that they see their interests are not aligned with a Republican Party that looks very different like than the rest of America or their generation.
1: Can I just ask one last question that just occurred to me? Did On the student loan thing, I mean, sometimes, you know, Democrats do something and they're like, no one knows about it. I mean, it sounds like what you're seeing is that a lot of vote, youth voters really do know about you know, student debt relief. I don't know if they know about the environmental package uh, passed. You know, but like, I, do you think do you think there's a high awareness of some of these things, or higher awareness of one than the other? I, I just mean,
2: I think that people know, but they don't know exactly what's included. So we did a student debt celebration event at a campus, and I would say that half of the people had no idea whether they qualified or not. Um, and so that was like a big piece. Is we need to make sure that people understand who's impacted, how they're impacted and what they can do to benefit. And the same with the Inflation Reduction Act. People understand generally that it's a big win, um, but they have no idea what's included or how it's going to impact their lives and make their lives better. So we have a lot more, I think we've started to do a lot better job on the Democratic side of doing two things, owning our wins, but also talking about the other side more clearly. One thing I do really appreciate about the Biden administration is we've gotten past that place of like, we're all going to come together and sing Kumbaya. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then like, no, honestly, there are some people that don't want to be part of this American project with us and they want to create an Island to themselves. And that's not what we're building. Um, And so I think being very clear about what we're up against and what we're for has been a big step. I've seen us make just in the last couple of months, but we've got to continue to do it a lot better.
0: So Christina, how can people help you and NextGen accomplish its mission to mobilize youth voters in this critical election, not just in November, but moving ahead?
2: Um, Marcos, thank you for asking that question. Um, People can go to nextgenamerica.org forward slash volunteers. So we have an army online. We've built um, 25,000 volunteers, which I think is actually now closer to 30,000. And we're trying to continue to build it up um, for this election. But last election, our volunteers helped us make close to 30 million texts, um, millions of phone calls, organized on Twitch and video games. And um, we have expanded our dating app organizing program. Yeah, which we're not catfishing people, but (laughs) uh, we're talking about what we say is the big D democracy. Um, (laughs) um, But we're talking to people because you can search by geography and age. And we're just talking to young people about whether they're registered, what their voting plan is this election. So no matter where you are, you can organize with us, no matter your age, you can organize with us, though, if you're a little older, we would suggest not the dating apps, but some of the other online organizing that we do. Um, And like I said, our 25,000 volunteers helped put in $4 million in sweat equity last election to help us have the largest youth voter turnout in American history.
0: And the URL once again was?
2: NextGenAmerica.org forward slash volunteer, or just go to NextGenAmerica.org.
0: Christina, thank you so much for joining us. Love the work that you do, love you, and it's amazing. And I'm excited about this (laughs) this opportunity we have in November that we shouldn't have, but Republicans have really opened up the door to to, um, really show what they are all about and what threat they pose. They're not hiding it anymore. There's no dog whistles. It's all out in the open. Supreme Court's already, you know, gotten rid of abortion. So it's up to us now. And, and there's no ambiguity. So, well, thank
2: you for giving us space to talk about what's at stake this election and the power that young voters have to change it. And also for being a partner and helping us recruit thousands of volunteers to use their volunteer muscle to shift the outcome this election.
0: Yeah, Daily Coast loves NextGen. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah. Uh, looking forward to talking to you soon, hopefully, to celebrate good That's stuff right. happening this November. Yeah, Thanks so much. Great. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Wow. Gary, just, it, it, it
1: just warms the heart, doesn't it? Doesn't it warm the heart?
0: I mean, youth voter engagement is kind of one of the, it's like the holy grail, right? I mean, on so many different levels. One is because there's so many of them, they're so liberal. And yet the turnout is so low that it's it's leaving votes on the floor that we can use to to win elections. And a state like Texas, like Christina pointed out, it's heavily it's a very young state. And uh, but the people who are doing the voting are the old white conservatives. Right. So it's it's it's. Electorally, it damages us. The fact that we can't—you know—that we, it's tough to get that vote out. Furthermore, it's—it's it's creating the sort of voter hygiene, right? It's like you get people in the habit of voting, and then they become lifetime voters. And if we could get this, these, these two large, you know, generations—the the the Y and and millennials, I guess, are older now. We're all getting older, Carrie. Uh, remember when millennials were like young and and.
1: We're um, not getting
0: older,
1: no. Okay. So, so but first here over here.
0: These are big generations. If we can get them in the habit of turning out and voting as they age, you know, it's it's we're in good shape moving forward. And again, like like Christina said, demographics aren't destiny, but it puts us in a position, a much better position than if we have to, you know, keep fighting for uh, a smaller pool of active voters that don't include these naturally progressive voters. And, and third, just Democracy is beautiful. Like, I, I love voting. I love people engaging. And, and even if they're young and Republican, I want them, I want them to turn, turn out and vote and engage in this great democratic tradition of our country as opposed to, you know, this fascism stuff that is suddenly yeah, yeah. in vogue. us I mean, yes. let's, let's, let's argue like, democratically. Like,
1: listen, I, yes, I, I would happily have a group of young Republicans go out and vote pro-democracy, right? Just be pro-democracy, just like invest in the election and the outcome of the election, you know, rather than this, like, you know, oh, you know, I think government got violence against the government is, is okay. And whatever, you know, I want to say one thing that just rang true to me and, and got through while we were talking to Christina, which I hope is really true. I mean, democrats have sort of both sides of the coin here in a way that i've been arguing for for a year that we would both be drawing the contrast with republicans now i didn't think that joe biden was going to have that in him but i thought like maybe if there were enough messengers that were you know making this contrast and making it clear that republicans are anti-democratic extremists that 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 would you know that 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 case needed to be made to the electorate. Then, on the other side of that, we have these really positive things, um, particularly for youth voters. But you know, these really positive things that we can point to. It's like, yeah, well, there, we've transformed your, you know, Biden transformed your life through student debt relief. Um, you know, the, this is this four hundred billion dollar investment in in uh, in climate, uh, climate uh, justice, and climate change um, is, you know, is the biggest investment of any, any historical time by any country to this point. So, you know, I just like, there's other things too. There's other things too. I mean, you know, a, a, a pretty, not perfect, but pretty competent rollout of the vaccines, getting the pandemic to a place where people who want the vaccines and want to try to, you know, um, to like you know live their lives in in a way that you, you can take some risks but you you also have ways to sort of mitigate the the possibility of getting infected and recovery and whatever um, you know they've they've done and and getting the economy going i mean god like the, having recovered all of the jobs that we lost during the pandemic is just unbelievable and you look over look at the mess that just happened in in england with their new prime minister uh, tried to in, do tax cuts immediately and then just upended the, you know, the ac- economy over there. I mean, it just, the, we, we have both sides of this coin of, of, of both, you know, doing good things and also Republicans are just downright extremists, anti-democratic extremists. And, and one of the reasons we have it is because it was the GOP PAC court that went ahead, the right-wing court majority that went ahead and did away with abortion. And that serves as a symbolic touchpoint for how extreme the Republican Party is. I mean, in some ways, you know, Joe Biden has it's made not, this- It's not
0: rhetoric anymore. It's right? not-
1: Joe- Right, exactly. Joe Biden went out and he did give a speech on this. And I and kudos to him because I there were a lot of advisors like- You know, I listen to a bunch of different podcasts and David Axelrod drives me nuts half the time. He's (laughs) former campaign manager for for um, for Barack Obama. But, you know, and he's like he's like, oh, I don't know if he should. You know, he's he's I don't know if he should have made that case. Do they really want him making that case? Like, no, that needs to be said. Like, I think sometimes you need to go out and say something, you know, you need to. go. So he said it on top of that, it's not just him like blowing in the wind, right? He's, he's saying something and reinforcing something that Republicans are actually doing. And we've seen when they overturned when, when their, their right wing, you know, conservative packed court Mm -hmm. overturned Roe v. Wade. And now they're talking about a federal abortion ban. And yeah, some people, some Republicans ran away with from this because they know it electorally. It's horrific right it's terrible it does not poll well but but they are they are that that is the touch point for how extreme this republican party is and they're going to come after more social issues and they're anti-democratic and they're trying to cut people cheap people out of voting and you know it it is just it's corrupt from just you know top to bottom and 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 people are getting a sense. They don't have to just trust what Joe Biden's saying. Although what Joe Biden said is true, has said is true. But but we have this issue that they've handed to us that just demonstrates what a radicalized party it has become. And so Democrats are working this midterm with both things, with we've done good for you. Here's what we have to show for it. We want to do more. And also, here's what you get on the other side if you either don't vote or you vote Republican.
0: Yeah, it's quite a bit of a change from 2010 when Barack Obama ran for uh, the first midterm during the Obama years where we'd gone through this 14-month painful, excruciating frustrating process to get the affordable care act packed up affordable hair <laughs> care, the act care act passed <laughs> <The> <laughs> and, hair uh, act.
1: it was terrible and, that hair act no yeah. i'm just kidding sorry and then you had
0: issues like like immigration reform which she had promised didn't happen and and so on and so forth so it, it created that malaise and there was and and uh our side really had very little to grasp on because even the you know, Obamacare, ACA, even that wasn't taking effect for several years after it passed. So you could even say, like debt relief, which is happening. Right. Um, you couldn't say, no, you know, like you're benefiting from this. It took several years, several cycles well, for that they, to happen. To, and they didn't even the try and
1: sell it either. They actually didn't even go out oh, and, try and sell away. it. Oh, yeah, they, they
0: ran away. Yeah. They ran away from, from it. it.
1: So they did it. And It was unpopular, and they're like, Well, just leave it for dead. I mean, they gave us nothing. I mean, speaking of David Axelrod, I'm sorry about this like, <laughs> anti-David Axelrod. Raxl- ran. But again, a I was new listening podcast. to podcast That's just you
0: responding. I
1: know, I know. If you want to, if you want to get really pissed off, um, just listen to hacks on tap. If you're progressive, if you're a real liberal, listen to hacks on tap. But anyway, so uh, so he he was saying when 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 Biden did student debt relief. David Axelrod was virtually like agreeing with all these never Trumper, well-intentioned, but never Trumper, you know, pro-democracy, never Trumper Republicans who I heard saying, well, this just, this is terrible because it gives, you know, Republicans a something to rail against. And, you know, are you kidding? Like David Axelrod was kind of agreeing with them on that. And I was like. David Axelrod, of all people, do you not remember just getting ruined in the 2010 midterm because you gave your base nothing to go out and vote for? I mean, it's like he completely forgot that. And that's what that's what we have this year. We have exciting things that have been delivered to the electorate, super exciting things. And and we can do more of it.
0: Carrie, we're we're running out of time, but you wanted to talk talk a little bit about the the. Shit show that is the Republican Party. And
1: <laughs> I mean, it is just ongoing. Let's just run through just a couple things. It is ongoing. You know, they. You know, Lindsey Graham a few weeks ago introduced that 15 week national abortion ban, thought it was a great idea, you know, partly because it's like, it's not a zero tolerance, like, we're going to jail all women. You know, I mean, like, he was like, this is
0: the this compromise. Is,
1: right, the compromise. <laughs> we're not going to jail all women, just the ones, you know, just the ones who have abortions after 15 weeks. Um, so then, you know, so all the Republicans scattered and ran away from it. Well, this Sunday on Meet the Press, Rick Scott, who's the who's the guy running the Senate GOP campaign this year, is, you know, came out and said, yeah, I think there's an argument for for, you know, to do something (laughs) to do something federally. And then talked about the 15 week abortion ban and said he's perfectly comfortable with it. And, you know, like
0: You might remember you might remember Rick Scott as the guy who said we should have tax raises, raises, Republican tax raises on 100 million Americans so that they would have skin in the game,
1: skin in the game, the the poor, the poor and and middle class. That's who he wants to tax so that they have skin in the game. Right. He's not talking about raising raising uh, taxes on the rich so they can pay their fair share. That's not what he's talking about. So, you know, I mean, you've got that. But then you've got, you know, Herschel Walker down in Georgia. And what a like what a sad, frankly, situation for his family and his kids and whatever. But, you know, he he that it comes it came out yesterday. Let's just say this is probably Republicans best opportunity to flip a seat right? It's their best opportunity to pick up a seat from Democrats. Now, I'm not saying we couldn't lose elsewhere. We can. There are other places where, you know, we could we could be in trouble. But, but this is definitely the, the place that they have been spending the most, pouring the more, most money in, millions and millions of dollars trying to flip the seat. And just just yesterday, it came out, last night it came out that he paid for a girlfriend. You know, he's, he's super pro-life, supposedly, <laughs> right? Quote, unquote family man, quote unquote, he paid for his, uh, you know, a a, a girlfriend's abortion back in 2009. So, you know, there's that. And then on top of that, uh, let's see what, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah. He's come out as, as anti-abortion with no exceptions. That's our, that's our, um, you know, just to remind you, our, our uh, producers reminding me. Yeah. And, and, Um, On top of that, like, you know, then his his son went on a rant on on Twitter against him calling saying, are you for real? Like, are you for real a family man, quote unquote? Like you just you know, you ditched us. I mean, I I feel bad for that kid. And I'm not going to go through all his tweets, but I feel bad for that kid. But this this guy he he's clearly a total huckster. I mean, he can barely put together a string of sentences, a string of words to make a sentence. I I, I don't know if he's you know if he just he is he does not make coherent arguments in the least. Um and and you know I. I, th- this is Republicans are sticking by him. They're they're circling the wagons because I mean, they, have no, they choice. have no choice. They have no choice but to hang on and yeah. try to push this guy into the Senate who clearly has no idea what he's doing. And, you know, I oh, mean, he's
0: not well. And it, there, there's a special place in hell for people who put, peop, you know, somebody like Herschel Walker, who's actually not well, not well. putting him in this position where he's completely over his head and unqualified and, uh, and Nick, you know he's a, he's he's a clown, right? And and this is not he needs he needs medical care, not to be thrust in the national spotlight like this. He and uh, so you're seeing it, Doug Mastriano up in Pennsylvania. He he's he's a sad sack of a candidate. You know he's he's running uh, for Senate, and and at this point, the Pennsylvania does not look competitive either. The governor's race or the Senate race. Uh, Mastriano is running for for governor. Sorry, governor. And yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, he 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 put out a what was it a podcast with a. Uh, Steve Bannon, where he was just—he looked, he looked pathetic, and he's just saying nobody's helping me, like nobody's helping me. And there's this weird thing where, where <laughs> Peter Thiel got he's, a bunch of was... these crazy yeah. Republicans elected in their primaries, and then just abandoned them in the general election. It's really weird. We're seeing in Arizona where, where not only is the Republican candidate for Senate, uh, flailing on on abortion, uh, mm-hmm. all over the place. But also, Carrie Lake, who's a candidate for governor, has just pled the fifth
1: <laughs> yeah right right went to the January sixth committee right and, and yeah. pled the fifth, yeah yeah,
0: and so you look across the the just the the landscape, and um the climate is is terrible for Republicans all of a sudden. It's terrible for us, too. let's not sugarcoat it you know Joe Biden is still not popular. Uh, We still have inflation um, issues, but it's also terrible for them. And on top of that, they they thanks to Donald Trump, they gifted us like the absolute worst candidates. Now, it's our job to make sure they don't win because (laughs) he's worst candidate. But it's gone to the point where there was a poll in Lauren Boebert's district in Colorado, which is a blood red district where the uh, it was it was. 47, 45, Bobert. And I'm not gonna say that the Democrats are gonna win this, you know, it's like a 30-point Trump district. It shouldn't even be close. And it, it is close, close yeah. because these candidates are polarizing. The climate is it, abortion has become sort of the defining issue. And I, I think you said it well, Carrie. Abortion in it, its as an issue. Yeah, it's it's important. But it's what it represents about the Republican Party. It's just the start. All the things that they promise and people dismiss as, oh, it's just a bunch of fringe candidates or it's Democrats uh, crying wolf or fear mongering. They suddenly realize that it's all real. And so it's going to put race like we've seen in the special elections. I really do believe it's going to put seats that nobody expected into play. And we're not going to win all of them, but we don't need to. We need to hold the Joe Biden districts. I think there's. Do you remember offhand, Carrie? I think it's 200. Yeah, 222 House seats that Joe Biden won. There was 217 for a majority. We don't need to make up ground. If we just held Joe Biden's numbers, we would win 222. That's what we need to do. We have more money. We have better candidates. The climate is in our favor. Engagement's in our favor. You just heard Christina talk about youth suddenly saying, like, I have a reason to vote. My life is at stake. That's powerful. Yeah,
1: right. Right. Powerful stuff. Yeah. And just to, I'm not sure if it was 225 or 222. Yeah. Right now, I think. I think it's 222. Yeah, it's 222. Okay. It's somewhere right around there. I just wanted to make sure that we didn't, we're not spreading falsehoods. We're not going down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole. Anyway.
0: (laughs) So that's what we have. um, That's, that's what's at stake. And and what's amazing, Carrie, is that people realize it. That's the piece that we always seem to be missing. Donald Trump helped, but now in a midterm, we have it.
1: You know, and I think we're, I think, you know, it's still, it still remains to be seen. You know, God, we've barely even scratched the surface. We got to go, but I just want to bring this up too. Trump sent out a tweet over the weekend that was basically like a a threat. (laughs) It was.
0: There's there's an unraveling. There is an absolute unraveling. I mean, we're talking about Herschel Walker's not well. I don't think Donald Trump is well either. Oh and no no
1: no no! Not that he.
0: Um, I mean, compare I guess, him twenty years ago to what he looks like now. It's 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 dramatic. I just
1: say right, and at the same time, and at the same time, House Democrats right now they they've got four dozen seats where forty percent of their advertising has been um a, a related to the abortion issue, right? So the 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 the, the, the packs, the outside groups. Um, uh, as well as the um, the, DCCC, the 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 um, Democratic Campaign Committee, um, they they are all focused on abortion because they realize that this is the this is the thing. gary
0: we we're out of time, so we gotta go. Uh, gotta go. But um, we all know what's at stake. We're down to we we're down to what four weeks? Uh, yeah, no, just a little five, bit over is four it weeks. Five? five weeks. Five Say weeks. It's
1: five. I think it's five. Yeah.
0: We were down to five weeks before the election. It's time to find how you are going to work for democratic victory. Christina gave you a great freaking option. Nextgenamerica.org slash volunteer. And they are doing amazing work to get the critically important youth vote. There's other places you can go. You can look at your local campaigns. If you were in a battleground state or city, Uh, definitely look at your local city council, Um, school boards there's there's major moves by right-wing forces to take over school boards and a lot of times they're doing so without any partisan affiliation so you got to really pay attention because they're trying to do these stealth candidates in in liberal places and so but it's it's whatever are you good at knocking on doors are you good at making phone calls are you good at at uh writing letters to to um to swing voters um At the very least,
1: rounding up a bunch of people to go to the polls and, you know, at the
0: very least. yeah. Or
1: you know what? If you can't do any of those things, here's something you can do for sure. You can vote early. Okay, that is a huge help to Democrats if you vote early because you're one more person that they don't have to worry about turning out. So so go ahead and vote early. I want you to do something else besides that. But if you do nothing else, vote early.
0: Yeah, they literally cross your name off a list and then nobody's going to have to call you or knock on your door to make sure you voted. And so not only do they lock in your vote, but they also can focus on the people who actually may not vote and are are sort of swingy or potential voters. So definitely, definitely, definitely vote early if your state allows it. So thank you so much. Thanks to everybody who makes the show possible. Christina, Sinsun Ramirez of Next Gen America, Carrie, uh, you're always so awesome. Walter, our... Um, producer Dorothy and Paul who help out behind the scenes and you are listeners for joining us in this battle for our democracy love you so glad to have you together in this fight for the soul of our nation and uh, keep fighting we'll talk to you next week thanks so much thank you for listening if you're enjoying the show give us a rating wherever you get your podcast you can always talk to us at dailycoast.com or on twitter at dailycoast see you next week